The Missouri State High School Activities Association is an association of member schools that is self-governed. That governance structure has a rhythm about it that is annual. Every spring in the month of April, we put a ballot out to our membership so that our schools can vote on important topics that have to do with our governance through our bylaws. Additionally, we have a questionnaire that happens before that ballot comes out to give us more input on how we should write those questions so that we can get to the important opinions of our member schools. In January, prior to those two pieces, our executive staff goes out to each of our eight board districts, one host site in each of those districts, and we conduct a meeting where we bring many of the issues that we plan to bring to the membership in the ballot, but also other issues that the board of directors is considering to gain feedback from the membership on those issues. We bring to you the area meeting topics that we are presenting and discussing at each of the eight board district area meetings. So if you've attended one of those meetings and want to rehash any of those topics, this is your opportunity. If you weren't unable to attend any of those meetings, this is your opportunity to hear maybe a summary, maybe without the, the discussion among the member schools of all of those topics. And if you are not a member school at all or affiliated with the member school, but you're curious about what topics are kind of on Misha's plate right now, you're certainly welcome to listen to this and maybe you'll learn something. This is our last segment in our series on area meeting topics. We've talked about a number of topics in our first two segments. This last one, we have just a few more topics to discuss. So we'll be talking about postseason eligibility and this bylaw 5.1.2, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. We also want to talk about basketball postseason host facilities, and then a number of information topics, name, image, and likeness, our new student advisory committee, and our wrestling postseason. Bylaw 5.1.2. Currently, it defines what a school has to do in order to qualify to participate in the postseason. And it says that the school must complete 50% of the maximum allowable contests in a given sport in order to compete in the postseason. And this is a sports-only bylaw. And it also says that an individual student must participate in at least one contest in order to be eligible in the postseason. 512 has become an issue in the last couple of years because we used to define our seasons in our sports as a number of regular season contests and a number of tournaments. In the 21-2022 school year, that bylaw changed to just talk about total number of contests, regardless of whether they were tournaments or regular season. So you could set up your season really however you wanted. You just can't go over that maximum number of contests. When we did that, the traditional interpretation of bylaw 5.1.2 had been that the minimum standard to be eligible for the postseason was 50% of the regular season contest. They ignored the tournament contest. And a number of our schools, especially in the sports of baseball and softball, had really been meeting that minimum in order to get into the postseason. Well, just to give you an, an example, in the sport of, let's say, baseball, we used to have 16 games and three tournaments. That was the maximum allowable. Well, half of 16 is eight. We had some schools in our state 
who are baseball schools that for a number of reasons, based on size and students playing multiple sports and, and it didn't have as many students that could do track and baseball. And so you have students in both sports. And so you can't have as many contests in each sport because all the same kids are playing both both sports. Or you're in a an area of the state where there's just not enough opponents in an area where you can reasonably get to during a baseball season. But anyway, these schools, you know, regularly playing eight and nine games in the season. Well, when we changed the 16 regular season games and three tournaments to 36 games being the maximum allowable games for baseball, we have no choice but to interpret that 5.1.2 says now you have to play 18 games in a season. Well, there are many baseball schools who do not play 18 games and have never played 18 games in the season. So the question is, do they still deserve to be in the postseason? Well, most of us think, yeah, they do. They do. You know, they're playing a, a baseball season. They're playing what is a baseball season for their school. Why can't they be in the postseason? So I gave relief on bylaw 5.142, this 50% issue for the 2022-2023 school year because we really needed to examine this particular bylaw the intent behind it, and what should it change to in order to make sure that we're meeting that intent. Or if the intent is changed by our membership, and let's make sure that bylaw speaks to what are our intentions on post-seats and eligibility. And so this, this question is going to be coming up at area meetings. Our schools have heard from me about this previously this year because of the issue that I just discussed. But we wanted to, we wanted to ask the membership some of their feelings about it. So then we kind of talk about, well, what what is the question we want to know? And one of the questions is, what best describes your position on minimum number of contests for schools wishing to participate in the postseason? We give three options. Keep the current minimum at 50% of the maximum allowable events, lower the current minimum percentage of the maximum allowable events, or set a minimum per sport based on previous minimums. So we want to know where the membership, what, what are they kind of directing the staff to do, and then they will vote on that with the ballot. I have another question. We're going to talk about individual sports. What best describes your position on minimum number of contests for schools to be postseason eligible in individual sports? These are golf, tennis, wrestling, track and field, swimming and diving. When participant numbers do not constitute a complete team or allow for team competition. So here's a cross-country example. You have three students in your school who run girls cross-country. In order to to score on a cross-country team, you have to have five students in a race. And you can have a maximum of seven students to have a team score for cross-country. So that particular school that has three girls does not have – they don't have a complete team, so they can never be in team competition. So the question asks, you know, what do you think about this minimum number? So the first option is an individual must meet the school minimum. So we say those three students – must participate in half or whatever the school minimum is based on wherever 5.212 goes. And B, an exception should be developed to allow for a reduced minimum if an individual is the team. So these students who, they don't have a full team, but they represent their school's team. So maybe you have one student running cross country, boys cross country, you got one student. Well, they're the team. So is it possible that that student doesn't really have to compete 
in the team minimum, and there would be an alternative minimum for that student or students who, who are making up the team. So those are the questions that we're going to ask the membership when it comes to this eligibility for postseason and the number of contests that your team must complete. An issue that has come up recently is the way we host our basketball postseason. Basketball is unlike any other sport in that we have neutral sites for every round past the district tournament in basketball, all classifications. And this year, for the first time, because we had a new bylaw come in, for the first time we are classifying boys and girls basketball separately. So any school, their girls and boys, could be in two different classifications and or could be in different districts. And so in order to allow that postseason to run efficiently and effectively for schools, for officials, and for everyone else, we have designated boys' contest nights and girls' contest nights or days throughout the postseason, from the beginning of districts all the way up to the final site. So we've already pre-designated on which dates these schools can play boys' games and girls' games, whereas in the past, those have been mixed because the school had one classification with the exception of a few schools who might not because of the championship factor. But for the most part, going into the season, everybody was in the same classification and usually the same district. So now that that is not the case for a number of schools, we basically doubled the number of dates in which we have to find these neutral host sites, which we've been able to do. It's, it has been more difficult, especially given the fact that we have tried to find non-member host sites as often as we possibly can. And when I say non-member host sites, we're talking about non-high school sites. So we, we play at a number of, of colleges for our sectional quarterfinal level postseason games. So that's the issue that we've been having in office, which is fine. That is our issue. We understand that that's a result of this classifying by gender in basketball. The Athletic Director's Advisory Committee has said, you know, it really makes a lot more sense if basketball follows the same rules as every other sport in that one of the qualifying teams is expected to host the sectional quarterfinal level game. And we have rules for who gets to host, and it's all predetermined based on the bracket position. And again, you can look these up, but the quick and dirty understanding is that in even years, the bottom of the bracket is hosting, and in odd years, the top of the bracket is hosting. And that can happen. We have some other rules. But basketball doesn't do that. Everything is neutral. Well, the Athletic Director's Advisory Committee said, hey, let's just make basketball the same as everyone else, and we'll, do, we'll have those, you know, one of the qualifiers will host. So that has come to the board as a recommendation from the AD Advisory Committee, and the board was not, wasn't sure how they landed on this one, uh, because there are, there are a number of considerations, and, and one of those is gym size. And so you, you might win your district tournament. You could be a girls' basketball team that wins your district tournament. You're supposed to host the sectional, and the, based on the size of your school's facilities, you may not be able to to host the same number of people that you could have had they been in, in larger facilities. And so this is a concern of the board. And they said, you know what, let's take this issue to our area meetings and see what our schools think about the issue. And so this is one of the, the topics we'll be discussing in the area meetings. What do our schools think about the, the basketball postseason? Should it run like every other sport? And one of the qualifiers be the host site? And if that's the case, should there be minimum qualifications for your 
facilities? Or should we stick with these, these neutral sites so that it is up to the MISHA staff to determine whether a site meets the minimum qualifications and neither school hosts it? So that's a question that our membership will be discussing at area meetings. A topic that is all over sports news right now is NIL, name, image, and likeness, and changes at the NCAA and the NAIA have completely turned over the world of amateur sports or what used to be considered amateur sports in high school and college. The rules are all all different at the college level. And when things change at the college level, they generally change at the high school level. And we are seeing this across the country and the issue around high school name, image, and likeness. So this discussion topic, it's actually an informational topic with our membership. We want our membership to know that we recognize the rapidly changing landscape of NIL at the college level and the high school level, and that our bylaws, our amateurism bylaws, do not have enough information to easily or maybe even accurately interpret how NIL activities are viewed by the Missouri State High School Activities Association. So we're working hard in our office. We've got a consultant that we've been working with to try to understand just NIL issues through the lens of our amateurism bylaws and even undue influence, both of those pieces. And we are working on language that we will bring to the membership to help clarify Misha's stance on NIL. So the questionnaire that comes out in late winter may include some questions regarding NIL, but certainly the ballot will have this new language. I want the membership to understand we're not crafting NIL, what what our staff believes Missouri should do with NIL. What we're trying to do is look at our amateurism bylaws and what historically our membership has expected of amateurism and apply that to the NIL landscape. And then if the membership wants things changed, we change it from our current NIL language, which comes directly from our amateurism bylaws and the philosophies behind that. And if we want things changed from the NIL language, not from the vacuum that we have right now. So that's our that's our focus. That's how we're going to approach this issue. And we want to help folks know that we're working on it. We're paying very close attention to it. And we're trying to speak for our member schools, how they think and believe really about high school athletes, high schools, and amateur sports. We have advisory committees within the Missouri State High School Activities Association. We have an advisory committee for every one of our sports and activities. We have an advisory committee for our sports medicine. We have it for finance. We have it for public, non-public. We have a number of advisory committees. It is an extremely important way that our board and our staff can hear from the membership who have specific concerns in specific areas. It's very important, these advisory committees. In our sports and activities, their membership is largely coaches and directors, and we have experts in the sports medicine world on our sports medicine advisory committee, but it's an important part. One new advisory committee that we're going to launch this spring is our student advisory committee. We currently do not have a mechanism to capture student voice. And just like our advisory committees, our representative coach director school voice 
this would be representative student voice on our student advisory committee. So we're excited about this. The board has approved the addition of a, a student advisory. These student advisory committee members will be just like any of our other advisory committees where a the board member will appoint students from each of their board districts and will also have two at-large region students who are of a minority gender or race in the at-large. But they will be nominated by their schools. The board member will make those selections. So we're very excited about this kicking off. The application process begins in January, and we're using the area meetings in this podcast to kind of get the word out to our schools that if you've got a student who would be interested in getting involved, and right now we're taking applications for juniors only, so juniors can apply for this, and then we'll do another application cycle in late spring for current sophomores so that next year when we have a full student advisory committee for the first time, we will have half being seniors, half being juniors. That way we can have representation from both classes moving into the future. Our wrestling championships have changed this year because we added a second class of girls wrestling, which we're really excited about. This has been, girls wrestling has been a great success for the state of Missouri and our member schools, and we have grown to the point where we need a second class of girls. In order to do that, we have to change our state tournament. And we we really tried, based on the recommendations of the wrestling advisory committee. We really tried to separate the boys and girls state tournament in two different weekends and two different venues. We made as much effort as we possibly could to make that happen in a short period of time. Folks may not understand how far out we have to plan our championship venues in order to allow for everything to work right. And so when we put it on an RFP for championships, it's a five-year deal usually, and that five-year deal doesn't start for two or three years after the contract is is set. So it takes a long time to get everything set. So when we were looking to change the the uh, our state championships in wrestling, without that that longer look RFP, it was very difficult to do. We tried. We thought we had venues that could host us probably three different times, and it it didn't work out. So. We have taken what is historically our state wrestling championship venue, the Mizzou Arena in Columbia, Missouri. What has historically been a three-day tournament has turned into a four-day tournament, and it is one week later than our historical, or at least for the last several years, our historical wrestling championship. So our girls' wrestling turn- district tournaments will be the weekend of February 10th and 11th. Our boys' wrestling district tournaments will be the weekend of February 17th and 18th. The following week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, will be the state wrestling championships for boys and girls in Columbia, Mizzou Arena. We'll run boys' classes 1 and 2 and girls' class 1 on February 22nd 23rd. That's a Wednesday, Thursday. We'll then start it all over with boys' class 3 and 4 and girls' class 2 on February 24th and 25th, the Friday and Saturday of that weekend. This is just information for our membership. This is significantly different than it's been in the past. We just want to make everyone to understand what the wrestling championships will look like this year. And so we're using the podcast to help get the word out. So we hope you think about coming to Columbia that week. And it, it, it's really, this is one of our, I would say, Missouri's wrestling championship is a is a national standard. And it is also a standard among even Misha championships. It's a, it's a great event. And even if you don't know much about wrestling, 
come and buy a ticket for a day and come take a look at that. If you're looking for the excitement and the kind of the the show of it, come on a championship day. And we've got two of those this year, Thursday, February 23rd, and Saturday, February 25th. But we're excited about the 2023 Mr. Wrestling Championships. This has been Misha All Access. I'm Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, Executive Director, and we really appreciate you listening to us. Maybe you subscribe to a lot of podcasts, or maybe you've never done that, but I want to encourage you to consider subscribing to the Misha All the Access podcast because it's going to help keep that next episode kind of right in the top of your podcast list. So consider subscribing. It also helps us with our analytics. And, and the more folks subscribe, the, you know, the more buzz that gets out there that we, we have this podcast. So consider doing that with your favorite podcast provider. 